This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Handy. Handy is a website where you can book top-rated home cleaners and handymen who might give you a little happy ending when you're done, if you know what I mean. You can get friendly vet professionals at your doorstep. Just pick a time and we'll do the rest, and maybe a little extra if you play your cards or if you've been a good little boy. How does it work? Well, Handy has experience and background check professionals, and they're clean, so you don't have to worry about any of that if you get them to go to the extra yard. They have an online interface with easy payment and rescheduling option, and also a place for a tip. So if they go a little above and beyond what they said they'd do, I think you know what to do. You can request your favorite professionals. I know I've got a favorite guy who I have a good relationship with. And they'll do anything. Furniture assembly, interior painting, hanging pictures, and other stuff, if you ask nicely. So, book a cleaner today and get a hand job by going to boardaudio.com slash handy. That's boardaudio.com slash handy. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast with business crafter writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to board.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the support our artist button, shop on Amazon like Norwood, get a little kickback. Uh, a little different episode for today. Uh, instead of doing uh, the normal interview, we're doing another topic episode, and this one is about making the independent comedy film. Uh, Daniel Shar wrote, directed, and probably most impressively self-funded uh, a movie called Scraps, and we talk about the process pretty extensively. So this is a great episode if you're ever interested in the filmmaking process or just making an independent film like I was. Uh, and it's a really interesting episode and really fun. There's a screening of Scraps at the Downtown Independent on August 8th at 8 p.m. I'll put a link on Twitter and the show notes, but if you're in L.A., uh, go check it out. You know, I, I, it, it sounds interesting. You should always be supporting like independent film like this. So here is Daniel Shar. Uh, Daniel, thanks for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. So you're here today to talk about uh, writing and directing your own movie. Yeah. Which you did. I somehow managed to do that. You did called Scraps. Yes. So uh, a little bit of your background. You you started out doing like improv and sketch in Chicago, right? Correct. Yeah. I did, um, went through the training centers at IO and Annoyance and Second City and performed at those places as well for about six years. And so were you always like an improv, were you improv and sketch first or like a movie guy first? Definitely improv and sketch first. I guess I like grew up being pretty into comedy, um, went to journalism school thinking that I was going to be Dave Barry. That was kind oh, of interesting. Like doing the goal. Mm-hmm. I did humor columns in, in high school. Yeah. And then once I got to college, quickly realized like that's not how that works. You have to be like a real reporter for a long time, which yeah. I didn't want to do. I guess Dave Barry was like a real reporter. Yeah, right? yeah. for a long time. Um, that's weird to think about. Yeah. So I hated having to actually just do the news and not be able to make any jokes about any of it. And then kind of on a whim ended up doing the comedy studies program at second city for fall oh. semester of junior year. That's, I've heard, I've heard of that. Yeah. I, I, I've looked into it. I never like really thought about doing it, but I looked into it. How would you like recommend that to people? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It was life changing. Cause it, I mean, you're just in classes for like writing, improv, acting, um, context for comedy, like satire, history of comedy, all this stuff. Uh, four days a week from like 10 to four Wow! and you get, um, I got 16 college credit hours for this. Wow. So it was really, um, uh, it was incredible. 
That isn't that like a that's like a major now. Yeah, now they've turned it into this entire thing. You can like get your degree in it. Interesting. Yeah. interesting. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder what those people think of it. I do too. Yeah. It's a weird decision to make at eighteen to be like, I'm going to spend <laughs> right hundred thousand dollars or something pretty close to that on like a comedy degree. Yeah. Even in the like four month program that I was in, there were a handful of people who realized like this is not for me. So yeah. I can't imagine committing to like a four year. Yeah. A hard sell to the parents mm-hmm. on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when did you get the idea to like write a movie? So that came out of um, kind of a basically I'd written three other movies and one of them I showed to a guy who's directed a couple movies this guy Todd Sklar and he basically told me like you need to direct this and so I wanted to make something else first so that I could learn how to do it because the the one that I wanted to make was like too personal to to fuck up Um, so I was actively trying to think of ideas for um, things I could make for like no money whatsoever and then ended up having a dream that felt like a movie idea almost immediately, like morphed into the wow. idea for Scraps. So it happened kind of quickly and came kind of out of nowhere. Wow, so that's interesting. This is like a movie that you've made as almost a test mm-hmm. for your next movie. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely just like a let's see how to do this yeah. and if this is something that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely I knew I enjoyed writing movies at that point because I'd already I'd written three and before that and had never written any but mm-hmm. wrote three in three months and was like oh, oh wow. this is very doable. Um, That's extremely fast. Yeah, and I wrote scraps. The first draft I wrote in two weeks. Wow. Yeah. So what, what's like your process? I'm just interested in the writing side because like totally. Uh, I'm like an extremely lazy man by nature, and uh, when, even when I'm like working on stuff. I tend to take my time, mm-hmm. probably not to the benefits. I feel like, I honestly feel like when you're working on something, you should get it out as quickly as possible. Yeah. But I, I say that, and I never do that. So how do you how do you motivate yourself, especially for something that you're not like getting paid to do, right. or it's not like an organized thing? It, um, two friends and I kind of stumbled into this idea of doing what we called the 90 day challenge, where for 90 days each of us was supposed to write three pages a day. And then just like check in with each other. And there were no consequences. There was like nothing at stake really. But that having that email check in thread motivated me enough to like stick to that. And what I found is that um, if you're holding yourself to writing at least three pages, more often than not, you're going to like get into a groove or be, you know, have some momentum built up. Because the hardest part is just like starting it. But once you're, at the three page mark more often than not I ended up writing way more than three pages in a day so there were days where I wrote like 16 pages yeah. um, and so I think I finished the first one in like two weeks uh, the second one I hadn't outlined as thoroughly so that one took like three weeks and then the third one I think I also wrote in about two and a half weeks and yeah, were these all like outlined and then mm-hmm. and then I would use the other so like after like what, I wrote the first one in two weeks and then I used the remaining like of those first 30 days I used that time to to like work on outlining the other two oh, basically smart. yeah because yeah. um, I found so that's the the key to my process I guess yeah. is like having an outline and then trying to do at least three pages a day 
So, and, and then Scraps was, was also made during that time? or maybe Not I- during that. It was after that, but I used the same method, basically. So I had, like, mid-July was when I had the dream, and so I gave myself, a, I was like, okay, I'll start writing this August 1st, so I have until August 1st to kind of outline it and jot down as many ideas for it as I can, and then I'll do at least three pages a day for 30 days, but it ended up taking, I think, like 16. So, oh, wow. So you, you outlined it, you wrote the movie, mm-hmm. and this is a movie when you started writing it, you knew you wanted to direct. Yes. So when you're writing it, you're thinking, all right, minimal locations, yes. all around Chicago probably. Yeah. And what else are you thinking? Um, I very quickly knew who I wanted to cast in it. Oh, um, from like the you know people in the improv community who I was friends with and had done shows with, um, and so I approached those people pretty early on. Um, I would say maybe, honestly, within like the f- that first week of writing. So I'm not even like halfway through the movie yet, uh, and I talked to like my lead actors basically and asked them, "Hey, I'm working on this thing. The goal would be to to actually make it. Would you want to do that?" And um, getting them to say yes was like a huge motivator as well. And then it helped me kind of like tailor those roles to those people. And so you get a draft done. Mm-hmm. What's what's your move? At that point, I think I sent it to like one or two people for notes and like including possibly the producer and DP who I had also like already gotten on board. So, OK, so how did you get a producer on board? So I had interned at Second City um, when I so I moved to Second City right after college and like after I graduated and immediately got an internship and uh, this girl Nicole had just been promoted basically like she had been an intern for a long time and then she became like a full time staff member and so we were basically like the same age though actually I think she might even be younger than me um, but we became fast friends and so over the years we. Um, I worked on like a live show that she produced and then we made a web series together that she produced and the guy who DP'd Scraps directed that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like such a fun trio. Uh, Like we all worked really well together. And so they were kind of the first two people as I was approaching the actors, I was also talking to them like, hey, would you guys want to do this? Mm -hmm. And so I had them on board as well. So I think I sent them the first draft. I know the second draft we did a table read um, just at somebody's apartment and there were two, I think two year old boys or maybe one and a half year old twin boys at this point who were going nuts and like being so disruptive, which is understandable, but it was, it it definitely felt disastrous to me. Um, and like kind of impossible to get a good read on the script because there was so much distractions happening, but I did get some good notes from, from the people um in the cast on that one and i think I, all in all i did like six drafts um over the course of the next like five or six months and when were those drafts were they um both looking at like content stuff just like quality stuff but also looking at like feasibility to like film yeah so nicole was great about giving me notes on that kind of stuff and john also um had a background my dp had a background in making in production like he had worked in Michigan for a long time professionally at like an ad agency kind of thing. Um, and so he was very knowledgeable about like, that's doable. That's not, um, I mean the, the movie is a dinner party, um, where one person has a near death experience and that drastically alters the lives of everybody in attendance. So we knew that it was just all going to take place in one house. So I was writing it. Yeah. Specifically, but also trying to like find as many ways to make that as exciting as we could without, 
you know, without yeah. having a budget or other locations to go to. Um, so, so, you know, finding different locations within the house and, and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I was getting notes for sure on like content and feasibility kind of throughout. And, um, we didn't get our location until pretty close to production. Cause I think we shot it in January, 2016. And I think we locked our location down like December 7th or something like that. Okay. And so at that point I'd already like script, the script had basically been locked for production purposes. Um, so I ended up having to make, there was like a separate document where I had a list of adjustments that I knew we would need to make to scenes where it's like, oh, I didn't intend for this character to have to cross through this room where these other people are. So we got to figure out a way to make that happen without it mm. being a weird thing. Um, so there was like, I think a two or three page document of updates right. after we saw the location and, and figured out what we had available to us. What's so interesting about like the the cast and crew is it, it seems like it's kind of like a culmination of your, your time in Chicago. Totally. And it's like that's a really cool thing about the comedy scene. If you like, I, I, I you know, I've never done comedy in Chicago, but I was in LA and now a little bit in New York, mostly not. But everyone's very open and um, kind of more uh, very approachable in yeah. a way that you wouldn't really think. Totally. Yeah, it's. Um... I mean, I, I was like two of the people I'd been on teams with. Um, and then like two of them were just kind of people who I saw around a lot. So like it's, uh, there were definitely like varying degrees of like, Oh, I know them like to where I was like, Oh, I don't even have his phone number, but I I hope that he'll want to do this. Um, but yeah, I think that, um, I got lucky in that I had not been an asshole. And so yeah. people were willing to which, like, which isn't luck. I mean, it's like there there are a lot of assholes. Sure, and uh, they deserve like to get uh, the things they don't get. Yeah, although they also get a lot that they shouldn't get too. True. I yeah. well, I guess I feel lucky that like nobody else was an asshole either. Like we right. we managed to get a very fun group of people together, and everyone was extremely nice to work with. Mm-hmm. But it did feel, um, yeah, basically like I had just built up enough goodwill over the course of six years that people were like, sure, I'll, I'll dedicate three yeah. weeks to this. And it does seem like that, like the putting in the time there is like important. Cause mm-hmm. like you can, probably people, you can't just walk up and say, right. You have to build relationships. That is kind of like a skill and also something that's kind of daunting as well. Yeah. But it is something that the comedy community does encourage, I'd say. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's a lot easier in the comedy community. It's been, that's been like the one drawback of not performing as much since moving here is it is a lot tougher to meet people and to um, have people like know that I have a sense of humor because I can be pretty shy when I'm meeting new people and the comedy community forces you into this context where like people are seeing each other in shows and being like oh okay yeah I get what this guy's doing and I like it Um, whereas if I just meet a person cold then it's unlikely that 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 side of me will successfully come out. Right, right. So yeah, it's been uh, tougher out here for sure. So the the script is locked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are the things? Uh, so you, you lock the script like maybe like in the summer before you shoot it. Uh, so I wrote it um, like basically from August to December. I was doing revisions. We did I think six drafts and had like a table read after the second one and the fifth one I think. Um, and at that point, had the whole cast locked down. Uh, had the whole cast there for the table read as well as a producer. And I think the DP was there. 
Um, and then, yeah, locked the script and we're, we're like basically doing pre-production from, I think October on, like, I think in October, that was when we had the full cast committed and, uh, we kind of figured out what dates would work for us. And it was sort of reverse engineered because we thought one of our leads might be moving to New York. Um, and she was like, yeah, we might be gone by February. So I was like, okay, well, what's the latest we can shoot? This would be January. Um, and so we had everybody put a hold on their calendar for, mm-hmm. for these three weeks in January. And then we're able to, uh, and this is all like Nicole is, you know, a, a full-time producer at second city. So she was so great at doing all the scheduling stuff and, and figuring all that out. Um, cause I don't know how I would have been able yeah. to myself. So you, uh, so the, the cast was most of the people that just, you picked. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you had to find uh, extras or nothing? No, it's literally, uh, the movie is almost entirely just the main four actors. Yeah. And then there's one other person who makes like a cameo um, for, a, you know, maybe a total of six minutes of the movie or something. So, uh, and he's also handpicked from the Chicago comedy community. So it's all people who I knew would work well together and who felt like they fit the characters that were in my head. So you had, so you had a cast. Mm-hmm. You got a location. Mm-hmm. Is that is that it? Is that everything you needed? Uh, no. Well, we uh, John put together a crew, which I also oh, would would not have known yeah. how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, so John, our DP, was still in grad school at DePaul, and he was able to um, pull in a bunch of people that he had either worked with on other shoots or had heard good things about. All of whom were students at DePaul. Um, and because of that, we were able to get all the gear for free from DePaul. That's huge. Yeah, because I think he finagled it to where it was like a class credit for him that he was nice. doing this like independent study thing. So, um, yeah, so that was super clutch. There was also a company in Chicago called um, Big Fe- Bigfoot Media, which John now works for full time, but it's just like a small production company. And they loaned us some gear as well and also came and like helped out on a couple days of the shoot, which was super nice. Uh, and they ended up letting us do our rap party at their office also. Yeah. So super nice guys. Um, but yeah, like that, uh, you know, I'm forever indebted to John for having the context that he did to be able to put the crew together. And so uh, here's a big question. Where did the money come from for like the budget for everything? So I self-financed everything because wow. it was so cheap. Uh, everybody worked for free. Um so we really just had to pay for the location, which we got a huge discount on because it ended up being a family friend of Nicole's who had this like beautiful townhouse uh, that she was no longer living in. So she'd been renting it out on Airbnb and she basically just like rented it to us for the month of January at like half the rate that she normally would. Um, so we didn't have insurance, <laughs> didn't have to pay for that. We didn't have to pay for gear. Um, so really we just paid, yeah, like half of what we should have had to pay for that, uh, rental fee. And then, um, just like, honestly, we spent, uh, uh, most of the money went to rotisserie chickens, uh, <laughs> since we were constantly having to reset the, the table. Oh, right. The, yeah, so yeah. the dinner party, we need them. Well, we need to have a full chicken again. Um, so I spent a lot of money on, on chickens, but yeah, it was really like way less money than it ever should have been to make this yeah that, that's incredible that's yeah. awesome yeah so uh you start filming mm-hmm. what are like i imagine your first day on set is like nerve-wracking terrifying 
So, uh, I mean, how did you start filming it? <laughs> what did you do? What was that first day like? Yeah, technically the very first thing we shot, it was a little weird because the very first thing we did was the only thing we did outside of the house. Um, so we were actually at one of the lead actor's homes filming in her backyard. Um, and it was, we almost had to cancel it because of the weather. It was like snowing super bad and uh, sleeting and we thought we were going to have to call it off. Um, but it was it was crazy because it was just the DP, me, the um, like our uh, production designer, and our sound person and the lead actress. That was it. That was just like the five of us. Yeah. Um, so it was a very small operation, and it was like a super short thing that in the movie I think maybe is like 10, 15 seconds. Um, so we shot that for a few hours from a few different angles, ended up using I think two of them. Um, and that was it. So the, the first like full day was the next day when we were all at the house finally. And, um, yeah, it was like really exciting and, um, scary, but eventually you just kind of like get into a groove and stop feeling self-conscious about it. And I'm like, okay, everybody seems like they're taking this seriously and that's cool. Like, let's just do it. So, Yeah, the nerves kind of went away, and before long, it was just like you're so immersed in the whole experience that there's like no time to really second guess the the big picture, just because there's so many little things that keep popping up that they're like, oh, should it, should we do it this way or that way? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, but it, I, I feel very, very lucky that we had a relatively smooth process. And I assume you'd made uh, short films before then. No, I, no. Wow, that's that's that's. It, it was ill-advised. What yeah, I did was very I, ill-advised was and say, crazy. I wasn't gonna put it like that, but yeah, that does seem kind of. Uh, it was reckless for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm generally not a risk taker or like uh, I don't. I actually like don't know how to swim, so I would never dive into <laughs> the deep end. But I did. I just went for it. I like as I was gearing up to do this, I directed two stage things. Um, kind of purposely to give myself kind of a crash course and like in doing that. And I'd, I'd done a decent amount of that kind of thing without the official, uh, without fully owning that responsibility where like several friends over the years had been like, we watch my solo show and give me notes and that kind of thing. So I'd always, I'd been giving notes to people for a long time, but never been like, I am the director of this thing until I did those two. I directed a solo show that's about to actually head to Edinburgh this year and um, uh, a scripted one-act play called Improvise to His Line Is It Anyway, which was oh, a was scri- ton of fun. fun. Yeah. yeah, and it had everybody in the cast of the movie was also in that show, and yeah. it was we did that, I think. It opened and closed like the month before we shot the movie. So it was, uh, it was also nice to be like, cool, I can work well with these people, and they're all they're taking notes great in this capacity. So I'm sure it'll be smooth and it definitely helped, I think, ease us all into working together in that way. Uh, as a director, would you say that you were more focused on, um, kind of performance stuff rather than technical stuff? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of leaving to your DP to kind of, uh, yeah, I deferred to him so much for that kind of thing. I mean, we shot listed the movie together, um, like we actually, we, we each shot listed separately and then compared and kind of combined oh, and came up with a master shot list for it. Cause we, when we were doing that, we're like, think of any, anything you might want to see for this. And then, um, ended up pulling back a lot just because of, um, wanting to get through everything efficiently and then also make sure that, uh, because we were so limited in, 
you know, in the location and everything that we had available to us that like saving kind of the special camera moments for special story moments as well. And not just like wasting it on, on, you know, blowing our wad too early, I guess. Yeah. It is funny how like, uh, you see some like student films or something and they do like the most absurd camera stuff for just like the randomest thing. Uh-huh. I do. Maybe the worst thing about me is maybe the cruelest thing about me is I do sometimes watch high school short films and start <laughs> and just make fun of them to myself, to myself and to my friends. We used to used to do that a lot, uh, which is extremely mean. I can't, I can't defend that. It's one of literal kids' kids' work. Um, but I'm very familiar with that trope. Then, oh yeah. Um, uh, so you directed people that you knew and that you had a working relationship with. Was it was that kind of a difficult barrier directly kind of your friends? Uh, it was a little weird at times, but I I do I've never really done it with people I don't know. So that's the other like the flip side of it scares me more just because I'm like I don't know if I have it in me to like boss around strangers. Right. I think it's um, I, I have an easier time. I know the person already, and there's like a built-in understanding of like. You know I'm not a dick. I know you're not a dick. So if either of us acts like a dick for a second, we know that's an anomaly mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. And I don't think anybody uh, – there were like one or two things that will haunt me forever where like just where I impulsively reacted rather than like taking a second to yeah. be like um, – and so I wish – you know, and I, I'm sure those are things that nobody else has thought about since. But yeah. I, I will like on a daily basis just yeah. like, oh, fuck, why did I say that? Um but luckily, those are few and far between. David O. Russell style. <laughs> no, I luckily I never uh, went that far with it. Yeah. But um, yeah, there was. I mean, I'll, I ain't afraid to say it. There was one where basically we um, we were trying to get a certain lighting look going, and uh, and then we were getting ready to like my DP. You know, I'm looking at the monitors, and he's like, "All right, you ready to roll?" Because he he was satisfied with where I was at and I just like across the room was like it needs to be darker and like I wish that I had gotten up and gone and been like hey man I think uh, can we make it darker instead of this like weird thing that kind of made everybody stop and get quiet for a second and then then I was like can we make it darker and like get over there and I felt terrible about it Um, so that was a lesson I learned the hard way of just like just always take the two seconds to go have that conversation privately rather than, than shouting it out which is still the most minor thing. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, but so so I feel you know grateful yeah. that that's like the low point as far as as that kind of stuff goes. Did you did you run into any issues while you were filming at all? No, we got very lucky because um, we did have sort of a rotating. I think all in all, maybe like forty people helped out on the movie wow. over the course of the three weeks because we were you know we're not paying anybody, so we were just kind of like if you can help for one night that's helpful um and so i had a lot of improvisers uh helping out as like pas and behind the scenes photographers and so we had a steady stream of people coming in and out of this condo every night for three weeks and nobody ever said anything to us no one bothered us um we got very lucky in that regard also i think also the way the building was set up like you know, these places were big enough and like soundproof enough that, that maybe people didn't hear us. Um, but so it wasn't like an apartment building. It was like its own standalone kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that was fortunate, but yeah, we got very lucky that no one, no one gave us any guff. Mm-hmm. 
So you film for, uh, I know people don't like to talk about how long they film or the budgets, but you film for a certain amount of time. Yeah, we fil- I don't mind saying okay. we filmed for like three weeks. Um, I think we had 20 days on the schedule, but most of them were only four hour or five hour shoots. Mm-hmm. Um, we shot like Monday through Friday with Thursdays off from like, I think it was like 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. So like five hour shoots. Um, wow. so, we, so are most people working jobs during the day? Yeah, people were working jobs during the day and then, uh, or, you know, are going to school, whatever, like a lot of the students. Um, and so we did that so that we wouldn't have to provide hot meals on those days. That was like the, the reasoning nice. behind doing those shorter days. And then Saturdays and Sundays were longer days, so we did get hot meals for those days, but we were able to get one day free, like free food for everybody just for putting a character in a t-shirt for one scene. Um, from a place that I love, Chicago Bagel Authority. Shout out. You got to go there if you're ever in <laughs> Chicago. Um, and then Demos Pizza also gave us uh, like heavily discount, I think like 50% off uh-huh. these like huge orders for similarly like some you know minor product placement. Um, so we were able to cut corners that way as well. But uh, yeah, that was another way we were able to keep the costs way down. So you film, you, you're finished. Mm-hmm. And now you're in the editing process. Yes. So did you have an editor? Yeah, John found an editor like before we even started. So uh, he was kind of looking at footage as we were going and telling us he was able to. Like we ended up ahead. That's of schedule. very important, by the way. Yes, that is a very we got very thing. lucky that. Yeah. Uh, and Nicole scheduled it so well that we ended up ahead of schedule somehow and ended up with like a day and a half, I think, to use for pickups and reshoots at the end. Um, so. So our editor had, like, based on everything he'd seen, had been like, I think you could use a scene like this, you know, some sort of transitional moment of this. Um, So he was able to kind of pinpoint what things. And I was watching dailies every day during the day. um, So I knew kind of what uh, had worked and what hadn't as far as, like, we didn't get that scene. Um, So we were able to, luckily, we were able to, like, reshoot everything we needed to reshoot. And, um, yeah, we didn't have to do any ADR. We didn't have to do any additional like pickups or, or reshoots after the last day of production. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a lot of people say films come together in the editing process. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say that's true? Definitely. Um, I, I thought that I had really narrowed the script down to, to be as tight as it possibly <laughs> could be. Um, but we ended up from the very first cut of the movie, which was like, you know, everything that, more than this wasn't an assembly this was like a cut of like cool we've refined this Mm -hmm. to to every the best version of everything that we you know think we have um i think that was like 93 minutes and then the final cut is 85 with credits so and we didn't lose any whole scenes but we just like tightened the hell out of it because there were so many things that as i'm watching i'm like oh you don't need that paragraph of dialogue it's all there in that look that's it that's all you need is that expression and then you can move on Mm -hmm. um so i definitely learned a ton and it it got so much better in the editing just to see it all get like trimmed and tightened Mm -hmm. up what was it like like editing a comedy because i know that's like its own skill doing that yeah it was really um it was kind of difficult at first because our editor had not really come from a comedic background he was very proficient but i think it there was a bit of a learning curve absolutely humorless no so i was it was scary at first it was like oh no but i think that's going to be any first cut you watch you're going to feel terrible about Mm -hmm. but um you know i a lot of the humor in this movie is very much like 
uh, awkward pauses after uncomfortable things are said. And so there, those things were missing, and it was, like, very clippy and, like, jumping around all the time. Where it's like, no, I just want to hold on this two-shot for as long as we I possibly see. can. So I was definitely in favor of, you know, less cuts, the better for this. And he learned very fast, and, um, you know, after, as we got into it, he was finding new laughs, which was so exciting to, to have him... Uh, reached the point where like he was absolutely enhancing the movie in ways that I didn't even think to because he was so he's like such a great editor um, that he was able to do that but just by like inserting reaction shots that I'd never thought to like use in certain spots so it was it was great and it was really exciting to uh, to find those new moments that hadn't even been planned for mm-hmm. in that way and we did have the cast improvise a pretty decent amount um, anytime that we were able to I, I let them you know kind of had their own flourishes to everything and told them to put stuff in their own words. So um, we were able to incorporate a lot of those little uh, little spicy seasonings from, from the actors, which is nice. Yeah, that is interesting to think about how you how you put the improv in. Mm-hmm. I know a, a very common criticism of a lot of comedy movies these days is that you can tell when it's, being, when it's the improv and then it just drags the film and drags the pacing down. Right. I definitely tried not Mr. to Apatow. do that. <laughs> Mr. Apatow, Mr. Feig. <laughs> I tried really hard not to do that. Yeah, um, yeah a lot of it is, uh, I think a lot of the improv that made it into the movie is more just like moments of reaction and um, yeah, like more like glances and like physical kind of moments that uh, I and maybe those are just acting choices. Maybe I'm <laughs> miscategorizing them, but it was, you know, uh, very exciting and fun to find those things. I'm like, oh, I didn't in- intend for there to be a laugh in that moment, but this performer is so good at comedy that they managed to like squeeze one out of it, uh, which is exciting. So through the editing process, I imagine you had to watch the film uh, tons of times. Mm-hmm. H- how did that kind of uh, change the way you thought about it throughout? I mean, so I became so desensitized to it and um, basically convinced that it was terrible and that uh, I especially, like, the first 20-ish minutes to me, I'm I'm like, this isn't funny. This sucks. Like, this is all, this drags so much. I was, like, very worried about it. Um, We had these two screenings recently in Chicago and New York. And we've got one in L.A. coming up uh, in two weeks. Uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but August 8th. And um, I was terrified before the Chicago screening, especially because it was the first time an audience had seen this thing. And I, in my mind, was like, well, I just hope that people can stick with me for those first 20 to 25 minutes because I feel like it ramps up after that and then it'll be fun. But people were laughing by minute two, and I couldn't believe it. And I was like, well, that's maybe this is a fluke. But then they kept laughing, and I, then I was able to relax. Like, oh, if they if they like it right now, they'll definitely enjoy it later. Because I have no doubt that like it picks up. Um, and that was what happened. Like, it just kind of kept escalating and got a great response after that. But I, yeah, I had lost all sense of like how it would play because I had seen it so much that I just yeah lacked perspective. Mm-hmm. Now. This is interesting to me personally, but when you watch the film now, are there any jokes here like, ah, God, that was a mistake? Oh, yeah. Uh, last, like, 
less jokes, I guess, but like story beats where story pictures, yeah, yeah. Like there's there's an argument in the movie that I wish I could cut, yeah, in half, but like. <laughs> Because it is, it just repeats itself. Where I'm like, this is going in circles. Why did I insist on keeping this in here? Um, and it's like not that fun. Like there are some jokes sprinkled in throughout it, and I guess maybe that's why I hung on to it. it was like I didn't want to lose those jokes, but I definitely should have because yeah. like we get it, you know. So it's it is hard for me because I, you know, the flaws are are gonna jump out at me more than anything else. Um, but those two audiences that saw it so far seem to like it and. Yeah. You know, I can't, I, I shouldn't, uh, that, that's great. I should just be happy that that's happening <laughs> rather than focusing on my own, like kicking myself for, it's my first movie. Of course, it's not going to be perfect. Um, I, I, I asked about the jokes specifically because mm-hmm. I just remember I was a big fan of uh, game night. I think I talked about the podcast mm-hmm. to talk about how much I like game night, but, uh, which is kind of funny that I just said, like, I, I people know from my podcast that I love game night, but, uh, there's a joke in there. That was like, it was the Lamorne. I think it's a Lamorne Morris character, uh, and he made some sort of joke about like black people or Donald Trump hating black people. And I remember thinking like, man, I bet they don't like that joke anymore. Like that joke is like, it's a really good movie, and that's like yeah. easily by far the worst joke in the movie. It's yeah. so dated. Yeah, like that's just so disposable joke that you should just not have. Totally. Yeah, I think we managed to steer clear of having any like topical. Uh, humor in there so hopefully nothing will feel too dated there are some like referential bits but they're i don't they're like already back in the 90s so like yeah <laughs> who knows i saw a play in new york called the parisian woman okay it's written by the guy who who does house of cards okay and so he wrote it originally in 2015 and then uh i saw it and there was like a ton of trump references like what how, how is this possible <laughs> And then I, uh, a friend told me that he had been rewriting it weekly on Broadway to add new Trump stuff in. Oh, my God. And it was horrible. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm pretty anti-Trump humor in terms of because I love the guy. Yeah. You know, but I just think it's, there's, no one's really done a good job with it. Yeah. And um, uh, I just remember people like stood up and started applauding. She like there was even like a joke where she was like someone's like you're on Twitter again and she's like well, it's good enough for the president it's good enough for me Ugh. and everyone started applauding and stuff God and it's just I don't know yeah that's where time that's a huge digression but <laughs> uh, so you, you finish you finish the movie you finish mm-hmm. editing it uh, what's your next step from there Yeah well we so we ended up locking picture in August of 2016 and I knew at that point I was moving to Los Angeles. Uh, September 2016 so like literally days before I left we were like okay we are done with editing Um, and then it took two years for post uh, because again I'm not paying anybody so I'm just kind of waiting for people to do things when they can on their own time so um, we initially had a sound editor in Michigan and then her schedule changed so we ended up having to find new people so we found these girls in Chicago um, and they were working on stuff, had a colorist who originally was in Chicago, who then was out here. So I was able to, luckily I was able to go sit with him and, and color, um, up until a certain point when his schedule changed and then the editor had to finish some of that yeah. stuff. So I did, I went back to Chicago, um, maybe like, uh, January, I guess of 2018. Um, yeah. So I, I finally, that was when it was like, 
okay, the sound edit is like close enough to being done that it would be helpful for me to be in the studio with you guys. And my composer was actually out in Los Angeles. He was a friend who I'd made a web series with in Chicago. Um, so I was able to sit with him and work on music stuff out here too. Um, but I went back and had a few sound days with, with them in Chicago and then we still weren't done. So it was a matter of like them sending me things digitally and then uh, ultimately we kind of got it done all at the last second before the screenings. And I mean, we're, technically we're still not done. Uh, the screenings revealed that there were still some like very minor issues with the sound mix, things that most people probably wouldn't really think twice about, but that it's like, well, it'd be nice to fix that if we can. Right. Um, so we're still working on, mm-hmm. on fixing it. And I don't know if we'll have it done for the LA screening or not. We might be <laughs> screening the same version we screened in, in um, New York and in Chicago. But we're trying to clean that stuff up before we, you know, distribute it. However, that's going to happen, which remains TBD, because um, that's still it's like an overwhelming thing that I have yet to to really figure out. And it's nice. I guess the current landscape is that I knew like none of this going into this process. So I've learned a bunch. I've just been reading and like listening to podcasts and stuff. But there's so many different avenues available now, which is very cool. Um. But it is also overwhelming because it is. I, I tend to be the kind of person who's like, well, how can I get it perfect? How can I? What's the exact right thing to do? So I'm overthinking everything and trying to figure out what is the ideal, best case way to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the dream would be to just get it on Netflix. I spent so little money on it that like any licensing deal they would give me would absolutely cover the cost of the movie, um, and then that just seems like the easiest way to get eyeballs on it. It's everybody will feel like they're not paying for it. Everybody has access to it that, and it's like a legitimate platform. Um, so I think that would be like the dream scenario would be to, to get it on there. Um, but beyond that, uh, if we can't get it on there, then I, I don't know. Maybe we'll just put it on Vimeo and YouTube and Facebook, like upload it everywhere we can and just try it. Cause we just want it to be a calling card for, for everybody involved. Right. Um, and I mean the actors who are you know two of our actors are, were in Joe Parra talks with you, uh, two of them were in uh, Tim Baltz's Shrink. Um, so like they've started amassing these other credits, even though they're all still living in Chicago. They're they're managing to get uh, legitimate TV work already, right. which is like hard to do out of Chicago. So um, yeah, I feel like it's the delay has been beneficial in that way to where it's given them time to to kind of become you know, slightly more have to build some credibility with people. Um, and we'll see if that helps, uh, attract any sort of distribution possibilities, but yeah, largely it remains kind of up in the air at this point. How how did you even go about getting the uh, screenings that you did in Chicago, New York, and now LA? Um, I kind of reverse engineered. It was sort of a situation where, um, I had applied to a festival in New York and had a voucher, like an airline voucher to use. And so I was just like, I'm going to... And I only applied because a friend um, knew a programmer and was basically like, I can put a good word in for you. And I was like, okay. And I, so I decided, like, I'm going to book a trip to New York that week. I was working on a movie with a guy in New York anyway, like a script. We'd been writing long distance and had been talking for a long time about how we wanted to just be in the same room for a while. Um, so I was like, I'm going to go to New York for that week. We'll work on that script. If I get into the festival, I'll be there. And if not, I'll set up my own screening while I'm there. So didn't get into the festival, um, set up my own screening at Videology, which I had talked to friends in New York who recommended that venue. Um, and it was like 
you know, the most affordable rental option I could find there also. Um, and it's like a very cool space. And then ideology is like a a hip place. Yeah. yeah, It's a hip place to be. Totally. And it was, uh, it kind of worked out perfectly. We were able to like pack that venue, uh, and kind of almost everybody I knew was there in New York was there. So that it worked out nicely. Um, the Chicago one, I then real I was like, I have to screen it in Chicago before I screen it in New York. It just doesn't feel right to let anyone else see it before the cast does. Um, and so I like made sure that the cast was all available, like found dates that the cast was all available close to my New York trip and they could all do like the week before. And so I was like, okay, I'll just make a whole two week trip out of it. And similarly kind of like asked around Chicago and found, uh, the Gene Siskel film center had like a super big discount for indie film. Um, so I was able to, to rent that as well. And I, I mean, I, I spent, uh, almost as much money, I think, on the, those like flying and and the rental fees as I did on production, which yeah. felt insane. It was like this <laughs> is so stupid. But then I had to remind myself that I got away with murder for making the movie that cheap in the first right. place. So so now you're trying to find some sort of distribution or some place to for the movie to to live. Yeah. So besides screenings, I guess they they serve that purpose too. Uh, how how do you go about that? I mean, I wouldn't even know. Yeah, I I kind of don't either. Yeah. I mean, there are there are a few services where you can like pay a company to like they'll pitch your movie to iTunes and Amazon and Hulu and, and Netflix, yeah. but I don't I don't believe them. Like, I don't yeah. fully trust that. So much would that cost? I think they want like, like a percentage, a thousand dollars plus. Like some of them take a percentage. Some of them are like, you just pay us a flat fee and then you get to keep everything, yeah. but you're doing all the marketing yourself. So it's like, well, I'm doing all the marketing myself regardless. Like, I wonder if there's a way I, I, that's the other thing is I have a chip on my shoulder where I feel like I have, I, you know, did comedy for six years and like a lot of my peers are heavily, you know, they're like working in the industry. And so it feels like I'm close enough to where I should I should be able to somehow talk to people without having to pay this service a thousand dollars to do it. Um, like I feel like I'm right on the periphery of like just being able to directly get introduced to somebody at Amazon or, or Netflix or whatever. Like, and I'm, I'm meeting like, yeah, I have friends who work on Netflix shows and it's like, okay, this seems possible. I don't know. I kind of want to see if we can find a way to do it without having to, to pay for, for the services. Cause it also, it feels ridiculous to, to drop that kind of money on a thing when it's like, we didn't even really drop the money on the movie itself. So that's feels rude uh, right. uh, to, to pay these people when I didn't pay my actors. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's kind of, it is kind of a weird distribution today. Like you mentioned before, it is there's so many different options, but there's so many different probably scams. I'm sure those companies are those companies sound like scams, but I don't know. I I always think everything sounds like a scam. Well, yeah, it's hard because I'll I'll like I you know when I'm googling it and trying to figure it out, I'll find these articles about companies that existed in 2015 that aren't around anymore. So yeah. it's like, well, how do I trust that this thing that's currently around won't go belly up next month? I don't, right. especially with like everything that Netflix is doing and Amazon. Like it just feels like I don't know. And then I've got people telling me like, don't get a distributor; they won't. Um, like friends who have made movies who have had distribution or like they're not going to care about your movie. They've got, they just buy a bunch of movies and they keep everything like they, yeah, there's a lot of like loopholes that I guess a lot of distribution companies take as a pretty opportunistic, uh, predatory business. Yeah. 
Um, so the, I've had friends tell me like, you should do everything you can to retain the rights yourself and, and be in control of it. Cause that's the only way that you might be able to make any money off of it. But yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting. Are you, are you like inviting people to this LA screening or? Yeah, I've been trying to really push it, um, as much as I can. And it is daunting cause we're, we're doing it at the downtown independent, which oh, is nice. a super nice space. Yeah. Um, but it seats like 220 people. So it's, it feels huge. And I thought, I mean, Chicago was a little humbling just because I thought that there was a pretty good chance. The Gene Siskel film center is about the same size. I think it's like 230 seats maybe. Um, and I had an email list in Chicago that was like, you know, close to that. And also figured like, well, the whole cast is here. You know, we might be able to pack this thing out. And then, like day of a third of the people who had RSVP'd like either told me they weren't coming or just straight up no showed. Uh, and so it was still like a good turnout and, you know, a responsive and supportive crowd, but it was very disappointing to look out and see empty seats. And so when I went and saw the downtown independent, I was like, well, this is daunting as hell because my, my, you know, my email list for out here is like half the size of what it was in Chicago. And we're definitely not going to fill this place. So I've been trying to come up with, you know, every way that I can to, to kind of spread the word. Um, and yeah, I've been like sending emails left and right to, to people to try to get them to come out. It's free. It's a free screening. So hopefully, um, hopefully we can get some people there, but yeah. So throughout this process, it's been a lot of waiting, especially, you know, the last two years. Yeah. So have you like been working actively on a bunch of different stuff? Yeah, I've been trying to stockpile as many other projects as I can um, because the hope is that this is like kind of a calling card that gets people to ask me like, you know, what else do you have? And I go, here you go. And send them the next thing they want to make. So yeah, I've definitely been working on features and TV scripts that I would like to make next. So are you going to, so you mentioned that this whole project started from wanting to direct a uh, more personal project. Are you now making inroads to that? Uh, I mean, that is a script that I've been working hard on. Um, and it's been, I, that, that thing has been through like maybe 15 different draft. Like it's, I'll put it down for a year and then come back to it. So I, I, you know, had a read through of it maybe four months ago and got some great notes. Like it's definitely getting closer to where it needs to be, but it's still, it's been, I basically, I wrote the movie other people like that is uh, what the first draft, oh, okay. like the first few drafts of it were other people. And then other people came out and I was like, okay, well I need to rework that, I guess. Wait, other, uh, oh, that's the Chris Kelly, movie. the Chris oh, Kelly. Okay. movie. It was I, like almost I, exactly. I, that I started thinking of ordinary people, the, uh, the Robert Redford movie or the, the John legend song. Oh, is that a John Legend song? Yeah, we're just ordinary people. It's a really good song. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been reworking that a ton, and then the big sit came out, and I was like, okay, i got to change some more of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely, yeah, I've been trying to refine it and, and do as much as I can with it, but it is, uh, yeah, I would love to, to make that next. Yeah. Or the, yeah, I'm also, the movie that I'm writing with the guy in New York is like another one that I'm itching to make. Mm-hmm. So what's surprised you about making a movie? Um, I guess just that we, that we did it, yeah. like that we pulled it off. It was really, um, yeah, it was alarming to the same way that I didn't think, like I'd never written a feature before I wrote three in three months and I was like, Oh, that's way easier than I thought it was. You just have to like do it. And, and so similarly, obviously I got very lucky that I had all these people who were willing to help out. Um, but, but yeah, we, we did it and it was like that wasn't that 
bad. Like it was, um, yeah, you just kind of day by day show up and do what's on the schedule for the day and take it one day at a time. Obviously I had an eye towards the bigger picture the whole time, but, um, but for the most part it was just about executing scene by scene what we wanted to do. And there's really only, yeah, like there's a, just a few scenes in the movie that kind of make me cringe where I'm like, I wish I'd, I'd wish I'd done that differently or better. But for the most part, it's, um, as, especially for as much as I've watched it, it's, I think, remarkable and if, uh, like surprising that I am not as embarrassed, uh, yeah. uh, like more embarrassed by more parts of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm extremely embarrassed by everything I've ever made, including this podcast. <laughs> but, uh, so what would be like your big advice to someone who's thinking about going out and making their own movie? Yeah, I think uh, just like find people who um, are excited about like what you do and and what you want to do with the movie and people who you're excited to work with and like who you trust. Um, I feel like a lot of people think that they need to know everything or like be able to do everything. That's like one mentality about filmmaking is that you should have you should understand every single job on the crew. And I, I think that's valid. I certainly didn't. So I think if you don't, as long as you're willing to admit that you don't and defer to the people who are experts in that area. Um, so like putting your ego aside and just being like production design is up to you. I like, <laughs> I trust your judgment and you know, obviously if something bugs you like speak up, but otherwise get out of people's way and let them do what right. they do best. So that was, that was like a big thing that I think, uh, uh, helped me get through the whole thing was just like trusting everybody to to kind of do their part and focusing on the thing that I felt like I could do best, which was just like try to get as much comedy out of this and like perform it, you know, the performances the way that I was envisioning them. Mm-hmm. So you got a screening uh, August 8th? Yeah, Wednesday, August 8th at the Downtown Independent. Uh, it's free. It's at 8 p.m. Um, yeah. And then beyond that, I don't really know what's next. There's yeah. a a few festivals that I was like kind of coerced into submitting to, um, but I'm not holding my breath for getting into those. Uh, I do kind of want to set up some screenings and like I'm from North Carolina, so I kind of want to do a screening in my hometown. And then I have some friends in Atlanta, so I'd like to do a screening there while I'm in North Carolina also. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think uh, if people just want to like stay tuned at scrapsmovie.com, that'll be where all the information is on on when and where they can see it. And what's your what's your Twitter account? My Twitter account is damn y'all shar. So D A M N Y A L L S H A R. Okay, awesome. Do we do we miss anything that you'd, you'd like to say about it? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think like. Uh, the three pages a day thing was a thing that yeah. I definitely recommend to anybody, whether you're working on movies or TV pilots or sketches or whatever. Like I really swear by that method. Yeah. Um, Cause I think that that is like a huge way to just get yourself over that hump and get some momentum going. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This 
has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.